You are Locked On Aggies, your daily podcast on the Texas A&M Aggies, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Aggies to another episode of Locked On Aggies, presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson back in action talking all things Texas A&M, and today, who are the five players for Auburn that could cause havoc and make this an interesting game going down the stretch? As always, make sure you're following me on social media at Mr. Cole Thompson. I am the host of the show, and I love public feedback. Anything you can do to make this a more quality-sounding podcast Monday through Friday, every single day, give me a follow, tell me what you want to hear, and I will add it into the mix. Secondly, Locked on Aggies. Locked on Aggies is your number one source for all things 12th May-related content found here on LOP. You can subscribe on iTunes. You can listen on Spotify. You can't do any of that. Listen live every single day at LockedOnPodcast.com. For those of you watching this video, congratulations. You see my Christmas tree in the background. You uh, see my little bit of uh, Christmas holiday decorations. Hopefully you are in the spirit. And I'm in the spirit for being a little bit nice today. And what I mean by that is there is a college football playoff conversation going on. And every single person, I think, in the realm has their opinion of something. I believe that Texas A&M is a top four team right now going into week 14, I think it would be, in the regular football season. I think when you look at also some other teams kind of around there, Florida is right behind them. I think that Cincinnati is overrated. And then we kind of come to a middle conversation ground. People have been kind of belittling BYU. And I'm just here to say, from one team to another, let's lay off the BYU slack. Now, BYU is not better than Texas A&M. In my personal opinion, they're not. But BYU is not as bad as some people are making them out to be. Granted, you have a schedule ahead that is not anything even close to the SEC, and you look at how the SEC has turned out, you have a reason to understand why maybe people are saying, oh, well, BYU is overhyped. Sure, they are. And I'm not saying that they deserve to be in that same realm or even conversation as the likes of the A&Ms or the Floridas in the world. But I heard someone on talk radio today when I was doing my prep for this show, when I was doing my prep for work and all that, talking about how Georgia is a better team than BYU because of recruiting purposes. All right. So Georgia has two losses on the year, which is very fine. And both those losses came to two opponents who I believe are in the top five teams in the SEC this year, top five teams in the country this year with them coming the 44 to 28 loss to uh, number six, Florida. And of course the number one loss, the 41 24 loss to Alabama in Tuscaloosa. There's also this thought of let's just break this down. Georgia also had games this year against Mississippi state against Kentucky and against Arkansas. Now, Arkansas, they got a good win over. They really did. They got a 37-10 win. Auburn, they got a good win over, 27-6. They barely squeaked by Kentucky. It was an 11-point difference in that game. Mississippi State, they needed to have it go down to the wire to get the uh, 34-21 win. Now, again, what's funny is you have Mississippi, Ole Miss, putting up that exact same score against the likes of the Bulldogs. 
Now, are the Bulldogs really a bad team that just find ways to be a little bit successful here and there because of Mike Leach? Is Ole Miss at the same level as what we would say than Georgia? No, not at all. And then you go look at the original schedule of what was supposed to be played by BYU this year. They were supposed to start the year off against a Pac-12 team in Utah. Then they were going to go travel to East Lansing to face off against Michigan State. Then they were going to go no, they're bad. They were going to be at home for Michigan State. Then they were going to go down to Sun Devil Stadium in Tempe to face off against another Pac-12 team in BYU. Then they were going to go travel up to Minnesota to face the likes of the Minnesota Golden Gophers. Utah State then face Missouri, who everyone knows Missouri is kind of that average team in the SEC. Nothing really special. Nothing really different. Nothing really there. After that, they're going to face Houston. Then go to Northern Illinois. Go travel to Boise to face the Broncos, then go place off against San Diego State, North Alabama, and close out the year in Palo Alto, California, against Stanford. Their schedule got screwed over by people telling them that you couldn't play anyone outside your conference and they don't have a conference, so whatever games are available, here you go. That's how that conversation went. A&M has been effective. A&M, week in and week out, has been a very good team. But to say that because of recruiting, you're automatically a great team means nothing. Texas A&M, in my opinion, is a much better team than Georgia is this year. Guess where Georgia ranked last year in recruiting? Number one. Guess where uh, where A&M ranked last year? Number six. I think Georgia is just as good as a team as I would say maybe Auburn. I think Auburn is a decent team. I think maybe Georgia would be better this year if they would have gone out and they would have played JT Daniels at the start of the year, but they didn't. It's like when people are saying all the time, well, what would have happened if Haynes King would have been the starter for Texas A&M this year? Well, what would have happened? We don't know. But what we do know is that Kellen Mond, even if he has been a little lackadaisical here and there, has helped the team improve to 6-1 and one on the year. 6-1? and one? Yeah, it's not ideal, and they're not all great wins. I mean, two of those wins are very tricky to describe. Vanderbilt, who does not have a single win on the year, and LSU, who just recently won the national championship and has had, in the past, A&M's number, 27 victory is in the lot. But then you have games against Mississippi State where you do look better. You have games against South Carolina where you made Will Muschamp lose his job because of what happened. Then you have games against Arkansas where they look to be the best defense in the SEC, and you hang 40-plus points on them. So it all has to even out somewhere. Just in my opinion, if we're going to talk about A&M being a top-four team, and we're going to talk about Georgia being a top-ten team, I think BYU should be in the conversation. This was the only year BYU looked to be a real competitor in that independent league, and they're going to get screwed for it. And I bring that up because of it just shows – how unfair the college football playoff committee is. And I bring that up because of the next part I'm going to go into. Even with the way Texas A&M is looking right now, there's a slim shot for them to get in the college football playoff. Because unfortunately, you have this team called Ohio State. Naturally, I don't believe Ohio State should be in the college football playoff because they won't have enough games under their belt. I also don't believe a team from the Pac-12 should be represented in the college football playoff because they won't have enough games under their belt. And you can automatically eliminate the big 12, because of every team will have at least two losses on the year. Which then would lead 
to an all-SEC, all-ACC college football playoff. Naturally, the best way that this could happen would be A&M just plays the part. They go finish the season strong. They go 9-1, and one, and they take that number four spot. Alabama would be number one as undefeated. Notre Dame and Clemson, depending on how that season rolled out, would be two and three respectively with the Aggies coming in at four. Or you would then have this other conversation where Florida does beat the Crimson Tide down in Atlanta. After that, Alabama would likely move into number two or three with Notre Dame if they would finish on top as the number one seed if they were to defeat Clemson again. Clemson and getting that four seed and, of course, Florida having to get in as the winner of the SEC championships. Fortunately, that's not how the world works. That's not how it is. So bearing any setbacks, it looks like the top four could be the top four, whether you want to hear it or not. I don't like it. I don't think it's a good deal. I think it's incredibly selfish of the college football playoff committee. And we talked about this on yesterday's show, just for those of you who are watching, we'll recap it. The college football playoff committee actually at one point decided that A&M should be in the conversation for that number four spot because Ohio State did not play last week. I don't understand why, but I do understand what they're looking for. And this is all about the resume. Here's what the resume says. I could give a crap less about your defense. Tell me about your offense. If your offense is good, I will pay attention. Not good, not going to care. Guess what happened? Offense struggled. They don't care. A&M has got to start playing better offense for them to make the college football playoff. Because BYU, and it all ties back, I promise, it all ties back. BYU is the leader in point differentials this season. They're winning by a significant amount against their opponents. They're number one in that category, and they're not even in the top 10. They have one of the best offenses in college football this year, and they're not even considered a top 10 team. Indiana took Ohio State down to the wire, and because Michael Penix Jr. is no longer going to be playing this season, they're no longer considered a top team. This is what I'm talking about when I come back to the conversation of why offense matters so much. It may be one-dimensional. It may be a little boring. But the offenses that find ways to be successful are the ones that continue to develop and the ones that are going to go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into the postseason picture. This was a big mouthful, and I know that this is a little bit un- underwhelming and it'll probably a little bit overreacting, and this is why I always bring this up. I never have time to relax. You know, I'm recording this podcast and I'm doing this show for you guys late at night because I want to make sure this show is good for you. But when I do find the time to unwind, I always go reach for an ice cold beer and the beer that's literally made to chill is Coors Light. Coors Light wants you to know that no matter what sporting event is on this season, make sure you crack open an ice cold Coors Light. Their beers are cold lagered, cold filtered, cold pressed, made by the great people of the Coors Brewing Company in the great state of Golden, Colorado. And those blue Rocky Mountains tell me that my beer is going to be as crisp and refreshing as the Rockies themselves. Coors Light is the one beer I choose when I need to unwind, so you should go ahead and grab it when you need a beer that's literally made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new delivery look straight to your door system at get.coorslight.com. And always remember to celebrate responsibly. 
Locked on Aggies presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Paul Thompson here back in action talking all things Texas A&M. Guys, let me get your opinion on something. Do you love quality podcasts running your favorite sports teams? If so, why not listen to a Locked On Podcast? The Locked On Podcast Network has over two dozen college sports shows plus every team covered in the NFL, NHL, MLB, NBA, and highlight information to get you geared up and win your fantasy sports teams. Subscribe on iTunes, listen on Spotify. If you can't do any of that, listen live every single day at LockedOnPodcast.com. So we're going to talk right now about the five players to watch for for AM who are on Auburn. Let me get that out of the way. Who are on the Tigers. Now, I have a show coming up tomorrow that everyone's going to listen to. Uh, it's with Zach Blackerby from Locked on Auburn. So just a little bit of a preview. And we talked a lot about this and who were some names to watch for. Now, for AM, I gave him my five. And to me, the biggest five names that need to have a good game are naturally Kellen Mond. I think... Actually, uh, Anaya Smith has to have a bigger game because of his speed. I think that you need to see more from Andre White Jr. Because if we saw a potential of what he could be down the stretch, I think Jalen Johnson, I mean, um, uh, Jalen Jones needs to have a good game because of what he's going to be in the future as that press cornerback. And I also believe the biggest name of all that needs to have a good game is Isaiah Spiller because Isaiah Spiller needs to keep the ball rolling, get the clock moving, make sure you're getting plays. Make sure you continue to keep first downs rolling through. But you don't need to know about who are the five players that AM need to have a good day. You know who are the five players for Auburn who could ruin AM's day. So coming in at number five, I'm going to go with the defensive back. I'm going to go with Roger McCreary. Now, Zach and I talked a little bit about this. There hasn't really been a big name that stepped up in press coverage at all, but Roger McCreary is the number one cornerback for the team and he's number one in interceptions on the year he has 37 total tackles he has three pass deflections he has three uh, two interceptions both returned for longer than 15 yards he also has a forced fumble he's a bigger corner what i mean by this and why this is a big deal is because bigger corners can find ways to win in the open field against smaller receivers hezekiah jones is likely going to be that receiver that's targeted immensely because of what he can do is he can win at the intermediate and the short level and turn up the Jets. If he's playing in the slot, you could see uh, McCreary, McCreary be put on him. Because of then what you're going to see is him be physical. Physical corners take these smaller receivers out of the conversation, out of the picture. It's just something that I've noticed throughout time. They find ways to eliminate them and make them minuscule. And make them minute. And this is going to be one of those opportunities. If he's on the outside, he can do the exact same thing to really any of the guys. Jalen Preston. To uh, Demond Demas if he plays. To Chase Lane, who is coming back from an injury. You can really do it to any single name out there. Whoever is that number one target that day is likely going to see a lot of McCreary. And McCreary is going to make sure that Mond is pressured into throwing it to one of his other targets. And you look at some other names that are on this list. I mean, for pass deflections alone, Nahima, Pritch- uh, Nahima Pritchett, he's a safety, has the most pass deflections at uh, seven. Then you have Smoke Monday. He has three. You have uh, Jordan per- uh, Peters. The other cornerback has two. And, you- and all of them have at least one interception, including our number four name, who I do think is going to be important as well. And that, of course, is Big Cat Bryant. Now, I don't know much about Big Cap Ryan. I really don't. I do know that he is the veteran guy on the, on this defensive line. 
And I do like he had the most significant snaps outside of Derrick Brown and Marlon Davidson last year. Kevin Steele wanted this defensive line to be something very special. Because of Auburn, as much as you don't want to admit it, is very good at building the trenches. They have a great right tackle in Indianapolis by the name of Braden Smith. They have two great defensive linemen in the NFL that recently were drafted. They're good in the secondary. I mean, they've had a couple of names, Noga Ibnahene, uh, Jamel Dean, Carlton Davis in the last few years come out. But defensive line has always been, in my opinion, their biggest thing. And this goes back to the Carl Lawson days uh, when Byron Cowart was the big Big name to ever come through Auburn. He didn't make it there, but he was a big defensive lineman name, big defensive lineman prospect. Nick Fairley, another one. I mean, this is what Auburn's known for, in my opinion, is their defensive line. Big Cat Bryan has not lived up to that expectation. But he is a bigger defensive end who can win at the three-tech, the five-tech, the nine-tech, and can get through either gaps B or C quickly. Now, last weekend, we saw Jared Hawker and Carson Green get called with the chop block penalty. That's because they were overpowered by one of the LSU defensive linemen. I don't know who it is off the top of my head, but you can't have that happen. Kellen Mond feeling the pressure, and Jimbo Fisher talked about this in the press conference. It's not all on Kellen. Now, you and I and the, uh, and the average fan and the average reporter would probably say it is, but you have to always watch that three-step drop back. And sometimes it isn't on the quarterback. In my opinion, I'd say about 70% of those, those plays that came out last week were on Kellen. But 30 were on the offensive line. Yeah, 20 were on the offensive line. 10 were on passes that were just dropped by receivers. Anytime a linebacker or a defensive end can add pressure, it then flusters a quarterback. And Mon being flustered is a bad thing. And we've seen it, and we know it, and we understand what happens when this happens. And that's something that I do worry about, is is Mon going to be flustered? You have to admit, Auburn, as bad as they've been this year, and by bad I mean really overhyped, like they are almost every year, if we're just being completely honest, they still find ways to make games interesting. Now, they've been blown out by Georgia, and then they blew out LSU. A&M, are they trying to show that they're better than Georgia? Are they trying to show they're better than LSU? Where's the line? Georgia's apparently a top 10 team. A&M's in the top five. A&M has to have just as good of a game as Georgia did against Auburn, and they have to do it in the Plains, which is another big problem. Big Cat Bryant can be a reason why this team does not have a good game. Who are the other three? We'll be breaking down those names in just a quick moment. But again, make sure you listen to tomorrow's show, Locked on Aggies, when me and, of course, Zach Blackerby will be breaking down Behind Enemy Lines, our daily, weekly podcast where I go behind enemy lines with another member of the media talking all things about the opponent this week, Auburn. What can we expect from Bo Nix? What can we expect from the offense? What can we expect for Gus Malzahn's hot seat? Go ahead and listen to that show. Listen on Locked on Auburn or on Locked on Aggies every single day at LockedOnPodcast.com. Locked on Aggies presented by the Locked on Podcast Network. Cole Thompson back in action talking all things Texas A&M. Guys, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and listen every single day at LockedOnPodcast.com. Three more names to get through before we close out the show today. 
Number three on this list for me is Anthony Schwartz. Anthony Schwartz is a lost enigma. And I bring him up because of I think a lot of people want to know, well, how is he lost? Well, he's pure speed. I mean, he's a six-foot middle slot receiver who has been nothing but impressive during his time in the Plains. But he's always been kind of overshadowed, if you really think about it. Because if he's always been that guy who's been playing with Seth Williams. Seth Williams is good. Seth Williams is very good. But I do believe Anthony Schwartz is going to be the difference maker in tomorrow's game. Or in uh, Saturday's game. You look at his numbers on the year. 46 receptions, 566 yards, only three touchdowns. But he also has been the most targeted receiver on the team. That's important to know. Even though a guy can get a lot of yards after the catch, even though a guy can get a lot of plays in the open field, your first read, nine out of ten times, is the guy who's the one who's targeted the most. So often, we're going to see Bo Nix go to Schwartz because if he doesn't think that there's anybody who can get him in the middle of the field. This is why I believe Andre White needs to have a good game. You can put Aaron Hansford here as well, but I believe Andre White especially needs to have a good game because if he is the future. You saw a little bit of his speed last week against LSU. There's going to be sub-packages out there where it's Devin Morris or it's him or it's another cornerback or it's another name that's guarding Schwartz. Whoever gets that big-time stop only boosts their repertoire for next season. Schwartz can win. He's going to be effective in the red zone. He's going to be effective at the 30 and beyond. I think Seth Williams would have made this list for me, but I can't put him here because of that big drop he had against Alabama. All you got to do is really scare the kid, and there's a very good shot. He could have a big-time drop at the end of the day. He's a big receiver. He's a physical receiver, but drops are what matters, and he's had several big ones over the past few weeks, so it's really hard to consider him as part of this. Number two name to watch for, in my opinion, I'm going to go with the brother of Daniel Carlson, one of the most accomplished kickers that has ever played in the history of the SEC, and that's Anders Carlson. Carlson this year is, I believe, 20 of 21 in field goal, I mean, extra points made, and he's 13 of 15 in field goals made. He also has one over 50 yards. He's a perfect four for four from the 40-yard range. He's three for four in the 30-yard range and five for five, 20 and up. I worry about that because of in physical games, like I believe this one will be, it could come down to the kickers. I don't, I like people always just for kind of forget about the kickers, guys. They really do. I mean, you look at a kicker and what they're they're capable of. They can make the game change in a heartbeat. And literally, all you have to do, you could, you could score 50 points and they could score 50 points, but the person who's remembered is the guy who nails that 30-yarder. And we know from the stat line, Carlson has made a majority of his kicks from 20 and from 40. That 30-yard line is where he's missed one, and that deep, that deep shot is where he's missed one. He's near perfect. A&M has got to make sure that they contain the guy who's coming in at number one from not getting near that play. They can cross the 50. You got to hold him in the 40s. You got to hold him to 50 yards for a kick. 
I don't want to see it 17, you know, them them get a stop on on third and short at the 17 mark, and then they do chip shots. Because if AM's offense can't move the ball, all you gotta do is just go down, chip, 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 and then sooner or later it's 18-nothing with five minutes left, and you guys score three touchdowns. That's a three-possession lead. Number one, of course, is Bo Nix. I don't think Bo Nix is a good quarterback. I don't. I think Bo Nix is a tricky quarterback to guard. His offensive line is not good, and it hasn't been good this year at all. Maybe that's why he's regressed a little bit. But at the same time, he's also very mobile. He's not fast. He won't beat you with the speed. He won't beat you in the open field. He won't beat you downfield and, you know, make you pay for it and, you know, make you pay for it when he trucks you or, he, you know, jukes you out of your shoes. He won't do that. He's not Kyler Murray. He's not, you know, he's not Russell Wilson. He's not Tua. He's not even, I would say, Justin Herbert. But he can make you get a lot of pressure on him and then a receiver gets open. Where seven defenders are blocking. You have seven defenders trying to get down Nicks. You have two defenders who are 20 yards deep, and you have one guy in the middle of the field. He misses that tackle. That's a 16 yard gain. That's a 25 yard gain. That's an 18 yard gain. That's first down. That's moving the chains. That's keeping the clock rolling. That's where Bo Nix is effective. That's where Bo Nix cannot be effective. I think DeMarvin Leal, Bobby Brown, Jaden Peavy, all these guys have to have good games in the interior. And they can't just rely on little things like, oh, we're just going to get in the backfield and eventually Knicks will just make a rush throw. Sure, he will. But there's also a very good shot he'll make a rush throw after he's been flustered, thrown out of the pocket, and maybe there's a guy open downfield. And then you have... Guys really deep back who where the safeties are kind of out of it. You don't you're playing a you know a man coverage and you have everyone kind of deep. You have your, your running back sitting right there, curl around. And Andre White is the only guy within five yards of him. That's where you can't have this whole thing happen. And that's where Bonix can be effective. So Bonix is going to be the number one player to watch for in tomorrow's game. Saturday's game. Guys, it's been a long day, I promise you. But Saturday's game, that's who you got to watch out for. That's going to do for this edition of Locked on Aggies. Make sure you're following the podcast here on social media at Mr. Cole Thompson and at Locked on Aggies. And make sure you're tuning in to the Locked on NFL show. The Locked on NFL show gives you all the insight you need surrounding all 32 teams across the great National Football League. And with Thursday Night Football back with an upcoming essential Week 13, you're not going to want to miss out on the Sunday show with Ross Jackson and Cody Rourke. Tomorrow's show, like I said, Zach Blackaby from Locked on Auburn will be joining the podcast. Make sure you tune in. Listen every single day. Remember, give me all. This has been Locked on Aggies, presented by the Locked on Podcast Network.